the chill off your soul. And I just kind of want to remind you what frost is. For frost to happen, there has to be kind of a chain of events that occur. There's got to be moisture in the air. Not only do you need moisture, but then there has to be dew point. Just for those of you not in school, dew point is the temperature to which a given parcel of human air must be cooled at a constant barometric pressure for water vapor to condense in liquid form. In other words, you got to have humidity. Ladies, you know what humidity does to you. It gives you a wonderful hair day. I never have that problem. I have no hair to have a bad hair day, you know? Then when you, then you also need a surface temperature. If the surface temperature is warmer than the dew point, you get condensation. If the surface temperature is cooler than the dew point, you get frost, this thin layer or sometimes a thick layer of ice crystals that you have to kind of scrape off the windshield of your car or that you may have to cover your plants up so that your plants don't get frost on them. And what, what is the key is the surface temperature is the surface temperature. I, I should have just put a period right there. I was going somewhere and it just... And so what I want to just share with you this morning is to let you know that the Spirit of God is always moving. And lately, there's, if there's been a chill over your soul, maybe it's because you're living a ho-hum, boring, kind of lack of expression of faith... Just kind of a, kind of in the coast mode, you know what I mean? You're not really attempting great things for God. You're not really doing great things for God. You're just kind of coasting. And, and it, there are those times where you need to refresh and renew. But if you hang there too long, what's going to happen is you're going to get frost over your soul. Turn to the book of Colossians chapter 4. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church of the city of Colossae probably around the year 62 A.D., probably written around the same time was the book of Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. These books are called the prison epistles. Paul is under house arrest. He had a three-year ministry in the city of Ephesus, about 100 miles away from this town of Colossae, from which he's writing to the Colossians, from this town of Colossae. And it was started by this guy named Epaphras. Epaphras probably heard Paul preach in his three-year ministry in Ephesians, in Ephesus, got saved, gave his heart to Christ, took advantage of that opportunity, responded to the gospel call, and then just went back to his hometown of Colossae and started a church. And that's awesome. That is an incredible story. So now Paul is writing to kind of address some of the issues that were going on in this young church led by an untrained, quote, pastor. And Paul's point is basically this, is that the main theme of Paul's letters is that Christ is Lord over all creation. Everything you see, everything you can't see. He is supremely sovereign. He is holy. He is great. He is, that is why we sang what we sung this morning, and he is absolutely awesome in his splendor, in his majesty, and his holiness. And he secured salvation, Jesus Christ has, for all people so that they may participate in his death, burial, resurrection, and the fullness of the life of Christ. That was a big theme for Paul being full in this life of Christ. 
By the way, let me just remind you what the word full means. It, it, it's really kind of a nautical term that describes a, a ship that's loaded to the max with sailors and rollers and soldiers and merchandise and merchandise and cargo and, and food in the galley and freight. And It just means loaded down to the max. So that in the New Testament, we would tweak this word to mean that Christians are to be loaded to the max, that our lives are supposed to be full with the presence and the power of God on our lives. But if you're not doing anything, if you're not attempting anything, then you really don't need much power if you're coasting. So Paul writes to us because sometimes he knows that it's easy when God sends an opportunity our way to look the other way. When that Holy Spirit gives us a gentle nudge, you know what that little gentle nudge is, step in, do this, be involved, participate, share the gospel. You, you know what all that's about, right? And sometimes we just kind of go, and we look the other way. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. That's where we're ending up. It's really a tag on to the verse we talked about last week. Be wise in the ways that you walk towards outsiders, to those that are without, those that are outside the pale, those are outside the bucket, those who are not part of the local church or part of the family of God. Be wise in the way that you act towards them. Now, if you're reading this just strictly in an English Bible, NIV, King James, whatever, you may think that these are parallel verses. Now, the one, that first two lines is, is one truth and stands alone, and the last two lines are one truth and stands alone. But what you have to understand is that this is all kind of one big paragraph and has to be taken as a unit. Matter of fact, that phrase, make the most of every opportunity, is subordinate to be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. That's why Paul said, listen, you've got to give earnest care, a relentless care to prayer. You have to stay alert. You have to be thankful. You pray for us, Paul would say, so that the message of the gospel goes out with clarity and it goes out with power and, and we take every opportunity to proclaim claim God's truth, open doors of opportunity for us. Then he says, then help us be wise in the way we act towards outsiders so that we can take every advantage of every opportunity that God gives us to make a difference in this world. By the way, the expression, make the most of every opportunity, see that? It's really kind of, there's a few other little kind of like declared as a preposition, but it really it's one long word in the, in the Greek language, or it's one word in the Greek language. And, and here's the word, it's exagorizo. Exagorizo. Everybody say that with me. Exagorizo. Exagorizo. Now, we kind of want to transliterate it. You kind of got to put a CH where the H is, but exagorizo. Say it one more time. You weren't really sure without me, were you, you know? Kind of tailed off there at the end. It means to make the most. <coughs> Excuse me, here's the way <coughs> that it is defined. It literally means to buy back in the active voice. In the middle voice, it means and conveys the idea to make the most of time. And so since there is not a word-for-word -word English literal kind of equivalent for this word, we've kind of just kind of have translated it into a phrase that means make the most of your opportunity. Take advantage 
of the opportunity. I like the phrase, buy up the opportunity. I love that. Buy up the opportunity that God has given you. Buy it up. And opportunities are all around us for us to buy up. The key is, how do you buy up those opportunities? Let me give you three things that will help you kind of buy up those opportunities. How do you buy up those opportunities? Number one, you got to look for it. You got to look for it. You got to look for it. If you know what kind of car you want, you're going to be out there looking for the best deal. If you know what you're going to go grocery shopping for, you're out there probably looking for coupons and, and getting all of that kind of groupons and all that kind of stuff together so that you can maximize the opportunity of groceries and you buy up that opportunity to get the most bang for your buck. I like the idea that you got to look for the opportunities and you cannot buy up what you don't see, so you got to look for it. Back around the early part of of our country when they were trying to pioneer and, and spread, the, uh, spread the frontier. The story is told, I don't know if it's folklore, I don't know if it's history, I don't know if it's a joke. I know, only thing I know, it was told kind of as kind of truth, okay? You can take that for whatever it's worth. You, there, was, there was a bounty of $5,000 offered for each wolf captured alive. I don't know why you would want to capture a wolf alive, but that was kind of like the deal. Capture a wolf alive, $5,000. That's a lot of money. These two guys, Jed and, uh, and Sam, decided they were going to strike their fortune not in gold but in wolves. That they were going to capture these wolves, and they had counted out, if we can get X amount of wolves, 5,000 bucks a, a, a shot, man, we are going to be rolling in the money. Life will be good when we capture these wolves. So they sat out. They'd never hunted for wolves before. So they went looking for wolves, looking for wolves. They went up the mountains. They went in the forest night and day, night and day. They didn't find any. And as they kept talking about all the riches, one night they drifted off to sleep, dreaming of the fortunes that they would have to have. And all of a sudden, Jed wakes up. And as he wakes up, he sees 50 eyeballs, flaming yellow, looking right at him. 25 teeth just kind of, or sets of teeth just, just drooling and sharp and jagged as these wolves are growling and, and just kind of, you know, crouched down in the attack mode. And he wakes his buddy Sam up and he said, Sam, 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 wake up, look, we're about to be rich. If you're looking for it, you're not going to find it. You see, listen, some of you have such wrong theology. You think God is somewhere up on this wonderful little cloud just kind of floating around the cosmos with a few angels playing a lyre and a, that's a musical instrument from the Old Testament, or a harp in our day with angels just singing and that's all that God is doing. Do you know that is wrong theology? God is not sitting in heaven doing nothing until you decide that you're going to show up and do something for him or you have a crisis in your life. God is always at work. He's always has something going on. He has all of these opportunities for you to buy up 
for you to get in on, for you to participate in. And you can live your life selfishly or you can invest in the opportunities that God gives us. The problem is most of us don't want to invest. Most of us don't want to buy it up. Because we look too much into ourselves and what we want, what we want to do, and na 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 We're just kind of a big bunch of Y babies, and it's just all about what we want. And he's got all these incredible opportunities. He says, buy them up. Buy them up. Not only do you have to, do you have to look for it, but you've got to realize it. You've got to realize it. You've got to realize when opportunity drops in your lap you got to realize it's an opportunity. There's a guy who visited Peter Lloyd's home years ago, and as they were talking, he, he was an entomologist. An entomologist studies insects. This guy told Peter Lloyd that he heard over 18 different cricket calls in his garden. He went on to tell Peter Lord that he could distinctly tell 200 different types and genres of crickets by their tone and by their call. I would tell that guy he needs to get a life. <laughs> After that entomologist left, Peter Lloyd wrote in his journal, he said, I suddenly understood that a person must want to hear and learn to hear. And there were many sounds that I was not hearing. See, I think a Christian has got to want to buy up those opportunities. They've got to learn to buy up those opportunities. And I think there's many opportunities that we're just not seeing. There are many things that we would have done differently if we would have only realized it, amen? Matter of fact, just amen if this is true of you. All right? Just, just amen, if it's true of you. If you would have realized back in the late 60s and early 70s that this little thing that Steve Jobs and his buddies were doing in a garage out in California making an Apple computer would be as big of a deal as it is, wouldn't you have bought stock back then if you would have realized it? Well, dude, we'd all been rich. Amen. If you would have realized time went by as fast as it does, would you have not, mom and dad, spent more time with your kids teaching them what's truly important? And it's just about realization, about realizing, having God's perspective on things. If you would have realized that you had an influence on somebody's life, how many of you would have bought up that opportunity? When the Holy Spirit gave you that gentle nudge to invite them to a room at the dome, to invite them to a pioneer club, to invite them to come to know Christ as their Savior. I mean, if you would have realized that they would have listened to you and you had that opportunity where you had their ear and God's voice was speaking through you, how many of us, oh my goodness, would have loved to have the opportunity to help somebody find their way into the kingdom of God. See, we've got to buy up these opportunities. How do you buy up opportunities? Let me give you one more. You've got to go for it. You've got to go for it. 
Please write this down somewhere. There is always a price to pay when you buy up an opportunity to make a difference in the kingdom of God. There is no such thing as priceless involvement in the kingdom of God. When David was, was going to build the, the, the temple in Jerusalem and he wanted to buy the, the threshing floor of, um, in the book of First and Second Samuel, and the owner just wanted to give it to David. David said, how can I buy that which costs me nothing? See, David understood that buying up opportunity to make a difference in the lives of people, that he, he understood that there's a cost involved. It may be spiritual cost. It may be mental cost. It may be physical cost. It, it, it may have cost of your resources, time, energy, or effort. But I'm telling you, there is always a cost involved in buying up opportunities to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And here's where the rub comes in. Most of us are so egocentric. We're so me-driven that we would rather live in our own little corner, in our own little room, in our own little world, instead of stepping out there and trying to do something great and incredible for the kingdom of God. Buying up that opportunity. Don't be like this guy. It's a little poem I came across. He said there was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked. He never tried. He never sang. He never prayed. And one day he passed away. His insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claimed, he never really died. And there's some of you, you're just coasting in your spiritual walk with Christ. Oh, you look good on Sunday morning. You show up. We're so glad you're here. God, I think, will minister to you as you hear his word. But I'm telling you, there is so much more to faith. There is so much more to buy up than a Sunday morning experience. Buy it up. Buy up those opportunities. Look for it. Realize it. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, Jesus gives up a parable, a very simple story about a merchant who was looking his... his Business was pearls. He was looking for a pearl. He realized he came across a pearl of great price. Realizing that what he was looking for cost a great deal. He went and sold everything that he had because the reward, the payoff for what he was getting was far better than what he was giving up. And so the sacrifice of giving up would be lost in the reward of getting better with this pearl of great price. He looked for it. He realized it. And he went for it. One of the familiar stories, Don alluded to it in our, in our worship set, was the story of David. He's a teenage shepherd boy who fought this huge giant, almost 10 foot tall. He's a mature soul. He's a mature soldier man. He's a killing machine. His name's Goliath. And David fought him with a slingshot, and he won. David went out on a limb. He risked his life. He risked his reputation. Imagine what would have happened if David would have failed. You ever thought about what would have happened if David would have failed? And lived to tell the tale? Why, he'd be in the skeleton in the closet of the family that nobody wanted to talk about. A child would say, hey, Daddy, tell us what happened when to Uncle David. The father would snap, don't you mention his name in our house ever. That name does not belong in this house. 
David could have been a crazy kid who went to find the giant. Yet we remember him as a hero, but we forget it started with a willingness to take a risk. Hudson Taylor, the great man of faith who founded China Inland Missions, integrated faith and risk. And he said, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. So when's the last time you stepped out, bought up an opportunity that demanded faith from you? You say, oh man, do I really have to go to church today, get out in the cold weather? Is that really an expression of faith? Really? I mean, honestly, some people come to church like they're doing God a favor. And I promise you, if that is your attitude, you would be much better off to stay home. Unless your exploits for God are such a degree of a magnitude, then there's no need for faith. So this morning, as you look at Colossians 4 and 5, make the most of every opportunity, buy up the opportunity to look for them, realize them, risk everything for them. That's the stuff of spiritual excitement. That's the stuff of spiritual adventure. So this morning, I want to buy up an opportunity. I want to buy up an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity. Opportunities drop in your lap if you have your lap where the opportunities are. Isn't that a great quote? Opportunities drop in your lap if, you're, <laughs> if you have your lap where the opportunities drop. So today, I want to drop an opportunity right in your lap. I want to drop in your lap the opportunity to take the risk to give Jesus Christ your life. Some call it being born again, being converted. And we're talking about being saved, what it means. It, it all means the same thing. It means becoming a Christ follower. And I want to drop the opportunity to give Christ your life squarely in your lap and ask you to take the risk and do it. Because a lot of times we get this thing all mixed up. And I want you to look at it. I want you to recognize it. And man, I really, I want you to go for it. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 talks about how we all have this problem. And the problem is sin. Anybody in here not sin? Not mess up? No, we all have. And our sins separate us from God. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So sin was passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Everybody in this room has sinned. You say, you too, preacher? Absolutely. And so our problem is, is how do we get to God? Because our sins separate us. Well, here's what men try to do. Men try to solve the problem on their own terms. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Give that, I'll just kind of hit the, the highlight of that. It, it talks about we've been saved by grace, and we've been, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. In other words, you can't earn it. Now, I don't know if you can read the, the little bar graphs that kind of go out, because there's how a lot of people try to get to God. They try to get to God through good works. By being a good person, being a good dad, being a good neighbor, being a good worker, just being a morally good person, never doing anything really major wrong, never really doing anything major really right, just being this good person. And, and that'll get you 
a bit, but it doesn't get you to God. Because the gulf and the gap between you and your sins and God and his holiness is so great that no matter how good you are, you can never be good enough. The myth of world religions like Hinduism and Buddhism that have the underlying belief of reincarnation as kind of their core principle or value, it says this, is that if you, you be a good moral person in this life, good moral person in this life, good moral person in this life, and maybe if you're good enough in the next life, you'll have it a little bit better. But if not, you may come back at one of the crickets in Peter Lord's garden. Who decides if you're good enough? Evidently, the lights do. <laughs> Who decides if you're good enough? You see, it's not your good works. Do I want you to be a good moral person? Absolutely. But it's not your good moral works that get you into heaven. Some people who try, try religion, they say, well, I go to Kirby Church. That's going to get me into heaven. Listen, that won't even get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. I've told you this many times, but when I was a young pastor, I went knocking on doors trying to get people to come to church and, and that kind of thing. And I knocked on one lady's door and, and told her I was Mike Trimble, pastor of the Fellowship Free Baptist Church in Dunn, North Carolina, la, 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 la. And she just looked at me and she said, now, are you one of those narrow-minded preachers that think your group is the only group going to heaven? I said, no, ma'am, I don't even think all my group's going to heaven. <laughs> Listen, I don't care what church, Baptist, Catholic, Episcopal, Methodist, Brethren, it doesn't matter what church, the church does not get you into heaven. That is nowhere in Scripture. What does get you into heaven is God's remedy for your problem. And it's found in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. God provides a solution to fill the gulf between a sinful man and a holy God. Jesus Christ drops in on the cross. But God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners with nothing to offer and nothing to give, Christ loved us and died for us. And so he makes this bridge from you who were separated from God to a holy God. What a wonderful opportunity. But it's not just simply believing it in your head, knowing that Jesus was a good moral person, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. But you've got to believe it. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, somewhere you've got to take the step of faith from where you are to where God is. And the only way to do that, the only way to do that is through the cross. But here's how cool God is. He gives you the opportunity. He says, you have the choice. You can either buy up this opportunity and say yes and give Christ your heart and choose to accept Christ. Or you can reject Christ. It's your choice. Take the risk. You have the choice to invite Christ into your heart. If it's not philosophy and it's not religion and it's not good works, the only thing that's going to get you into heaven is Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. 
So this morning we are dropping an opportunity squarely in your lap. And I want you to go for it. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're still on that side, separated from God. The only way to spend time and eternity with God in heaven is through Jesus Christ. You go for it. You say, what do you do? What do you do? You give Jesus Christ your heart. Matter of fact, here's just a simple prayer to pray. And this prayer that you pray just simply says, Dear Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. I realize you dropped it right in my lap, but I don't want to miss this opportunity. Today, I'm going for it. Today, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today, I ask you to, to come into my life. Jesus, I don't know much, but all I know is I'll trust your word and I'll follow you. You see, this journey with Christ starts with a simple prayer, buying up that opportunity. What does it cost you? Oh, man, it costs you everything. The guy who saw the pearl of great price sold everything he had, went and got this one pearl of great price. Man, I'm telling you, whatever you got, Jesus is far greater. Buy up this opportunity and give him your life. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? And if you're here today, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, will you choose? We're going to leave the prayer up on the screen. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer. The last several weeks, I've been preaching to the church and I've been preaching to Christians. Today, man, I wanted to give the opportunity to you who may not know Christ as your Savior, who may be on the, still with sin separating you and a loving God. And Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross so that you can have the opportunity to have everlasting life. So this morning, if you want to buy up this opportunity, if you want to give him your heart, you want to give him your life, you want to start this relationship with Jesus Christ right here, right now, you want to go for it, right here, right now, take a peek at this prayer. Take a peek at the prayer. Would you just repeat after, Would you just repeat it in your heart as I pray through it one more time? Dear Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. I realized you dropped it right in my lap, and I don't want to miss this opportunity. I'm going for it. Today, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and I invite you into my life. Jesus, I don't know much about all of this, so I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to trust your word. Thank you, Jesus for saving me. I want you to know there have been people praying and fasting for you all month for this very opportunity that you have right here. And if you prayed that prayer, you just now invited Christ into your heart.
I promise I'm not going to embarrass you, but would you just take a little step of obedience here? Would you just raise your hand right where you're at and say, Pastor, I don't quite understand it all, but I'll tell you right now, I prayed that prayer, and I gave Jesus Christ my heart. Thank you. God bless you. That's awesome. Somebody else, you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I prayed the prayer and I gave Jesus my heart. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. Oh, man, and God's people said, amen. We had somebody saved in the first service as well. And I would like for the church to stand and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these today that have given you their heart and their life who have taken up this opportunity to start life with you.